0: You're listening to a Church Doctor production. You're listening to the Big Church, Small Church podcast with John Hunter. Conversations and tips for churches to engage and outreach communities to reach new people for God in your neighborhood. Welcome uh, to the Big Church, Small Church podcast. Uh, Today I have a special guest, uh, Richard Cox. Welcome to the show, Richard.
1: Thanks, John, for having me.
0: So Richard is a guy that I I met while I was uh, doing my seminary training at Indiana Wesleyan University. We had one class together. Um, I asked to sit with him at lunch and learn that he is passionate about reaching people for Jesus, about making disciples, and really uh, at that time uh, was interested in church planting And now he has planted a church. And so, yeah, I just wanted to have Richard on here to tell a little bit about his story and about, you know, what he's been involved in and just to hear from his context and what's working in terms of reaching people for Jesus. So, Richard, go ahead and introduce yourself to the people. And yeah, tell us a little bit about what God's been doing through you.
1: Uh, Well, I'm married to uh, Tanya. She's a nurse practitioner and uh, we have three kids uh, Caleb, Allison, and Kristen. They are nine, six, and five, uh, and have been central part of our ministry. I'm a fourth generation, uh, missionary kid, uh, and, uh, at a young age, I felt God called me to be a missionary, um, and at the age of seven, I started saving my money, so I'd go on a mission trip to Africa when I turned 16, and, uh, All growing up, I continued to express that God was calling me to be a missionary, and my wildest dreams became true when uh, our family moved to Africa when I was 16, uh, and I loved Africa and every bit of life in Africa, but began sensing that God was calling me to be a missionary in the North American context, uh, which was something that was really because growing up in a missionary's family with grandparents and great grandparents and aunts and uncles that were all serving God internationally um, it was my thought that missionaries were people that went internationally and served the church uh, or took the gospel to new lands and it was pastors who served in the states and so I had this turmoil of not understanding where how God could call me to two places in one at one time I kept telling him i 'm not God. Uh, I can't, I, you either have to call me to be a missionary or call me to be a pastor. And that began a six year journey of wrestling with God. Uh, God, where, where are you calling me? Uh, I uh, went to Bible college in Canada and I had what I've often called uh, a Jonah experience, although I really believe it was God leading me. But uh, as part of my internship, I spent six months in Central Asia thinking that maybe just maybe God didn't want me in Africa and he wanted me to serve as a missionary in the Muslim world. And uh, again, I loved every minute of it, but couldn't get away from the fact that God was calling us to serve as uh, missionaries in the States. And I'll never forget the moment. uh, This was back in the days when it was instant messenger before video chat was a thing. And I was talking to my parents and I I made the comment, I just wish God would give me a post-it note and tell me what I'm supposed to do and uh, my mom simply responded by saying, maybe he already has, Wow. and uh, in that moment, I knew exactly where where I was supposed to go. I still didn't have it figured out, Um, but I uh, accepted a position as an outreach pastor uh, at the Hyde Wesleyan Church, um, which was a church where my uncle was serving as the lead pastor, and it was supposed to be a two-year residency, and then I was going overseas international. I still had it in my mind that god uh was just calling me to the states temporarily and that eventually i was going to serve as a global missionary somewhere else Um, but two years turned into five and a half years and during that time god just really began to open my eyes to how many people actually lived within walking distance of our church uh, and never heard the gospel people that were driving by our church building each and every day but had never heard the gospel. I remember doing a backyard club with kids at a local housing development, and uh, each week we would do games, activities, and tell them a different Bible story, and week after week, they had never heard the story. They could tell you about Spider-Man and Superman and and all their favorite uh, TV shows, but they had never heard the story of David and Goliath or uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000, and God just began to break my heart for Uh, the number of people in our region that had no connection to a church. Growing up as a pastor's kid, before we went to Africa, I had the impression that we lived in a prodigal nation. I thought we lived in a nation where everybody had heard the gospel. They had just chosen to reject it. And God began to use that experience as the outreach pastor to open my eyes to the fact that uh, there were many people that their grandparents might have gone to church or their parents did. Um, but we're looking at second and third generation people that were growing up outside the context of the church with no understanding of the gospel. They knew who Jesus was, although for most of them, it was a swear word and was connected to some building in our town, but they had no relationship with Jesus. Um, yeah,
0: yeah that, that is, um, I, I think that's, uh, surprising. I think probably for a lot of people who are listening, Right now, I, I think that the majority of us in that are Christians in the United States think that you know at least people grew up in the church and just drifted away, kind of what we'd call de church. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, the, that actually, um, we're we're kind of coming along the side, same way as, as Europe is, uh, now. Um, you I mean you've kind of already talked about that, and that we're starting to get this generational gap where. Actually, there are people that have never heard the name of Jesus before, and um, yeah, that's—I mean, yeah, that's—that's that's a different approach for um, evangelism in terms of witnessing to people. But I think that often we don't think that that there isn't anybody that hasn't had a chance to respond to Jesus. But actually, there are several people right in probably in each of our neighborhoods right now across america whether you're in the midwest or whether you're on one of the coasts that there are people in your neighborhood um that don't know jesus yet and want to know who jesus is
1: yeah it's it's a pandemic in our country and uh serving at the high church um god just continued to open my eyes to how many people were living outside the influence of the church uh, and yet, yeah, as we continue to reach that community, God God began to bring me to a place where I realized that uh, that church was going to reach that community, whether I was there or not. And there were communities in our region that needed that needed more gospel influence. And that's when we started feeling God calling us to church plant. Um, I I came across... Uh, the statistic and, and discovered that there were 290,000 people uh, within an, a 90 minute drive of central Pennsylvania that claimed, according to the census, uh, claimed no affiliation with a church whatsoever. Hmm. Um, they, uh, they they were growing up totally unchurched and that, that, um, status of none is is a status that's growing drastically and quickly in our region and uh so we knew from day one when we moved to Altoona that that it was never going to be enough to plant one church uh that it was we were going to have to be ascending church because there was no way we were going to reach the 290,000 people in our region uh with without uh having a Ending approach and we moved to altoona which had a reputation as a church graveyard Uh, in the decade before we moved there more than a dozen churches had closed Uh, there's a united methodist church uh, downtown uh, a historic church that had a thousand seat sanctuary that closed shortly after we uh, moved there Uh, multiple churches have closed since we uh, have moved to Altoona, and uh, it's, it's a city that's known as the city that almost ended Billy Graham's ministry. Uh, it was the second stop on his uh, crusade tour uh, before he went to California when he got national recognition, uh, and the church was so disunified in our city uh, that uh, they say Billy Graham almost gave up you can actually go and read it in his autobiography he's devoted several pages to just how dysfunctional the church was in our city and uh, we moved here knowing that it was it was never going to be enough to plant one church and I firmly believed from day one that uh if we just started a church that consolidated all the other churches and brought everybody together in one building while we continue to close churches that we would be a failure. And so we said from day one when we moved to Altoona that, uh, that not only were we gonna measure our success by how many leaders we could raise up and send out, but we were also gonna measure our success as a local church by, by how many churches in our city were growing. Uh, it was, it wasn't enough for us to grow. Um, but what did it, what would it look like to really lock arms with the churches across our city and actually begin to see an awakening and a revival take place in our city where the church together and work and function as a team rather than seeing, um, seeing each other's competition.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Could you just share a little bit? I, I know that, um, I'd like to obviously uh, wanna hear more about how Overflow's kind of started and your story there, but share also a little bit about um, your prayer gathering that you kind of started um, in the city and, and how that is, has grown, I think it's amazing. Uh, so
1: when I was getting ready to move to Altoona, uh, I went to Church Planners boot camp in Michigan and the pastor took us to this Sunday morning pastor's prayer gathering that he did with about six other pastors in their city. And from that moment, I knew that was something I wanted to be a part of. But I moved to Altoona, and uh, the church was just not in a healthy place. And uh, uh, for years, we we did everything that we could to work together with the other churches, develop relationships. Anybody that wanted to work together, we were always willing uh, to work together. We always said, as long as uh, Jesus is Lord, we're on the same team. And so what can we do? Uh, and yet, the first six years we were in town uh there were many many days i was just totally discouraged because i was doing everything that i felt god was calling me to do and yet nothing seemed to be taking traction as far as building relationships with the other churches in our city uh we had really developed or i had really developed a close relationship with uh the vineyard church Uh, pastor they planted a year after we did and had a heart for the city and we got together every week and just talked ministry and how we could resource each other and partner together and uh, we're just kind of sharing our frustrations Uh, and God just really convicted me that uh, we needed to stop blaming our lack of faith on the other pastors in the city and we needed to start just praying together regardless of how they responded and so that week, we sent out a Facebook message inviting uh, all the pastors that we knew to join us for prayer. And truthfully, uh, there was more negativity in that post than uh, there was positivity. Uh, the majority of the pastors were complaining, why in the world would you ever pray on Sunday morning? Don't you know that's our busiest day of the week and, and just on and on and on. But that first week, uh, seven pastors showed up uh, to pray at 6.30 uh at the vineyard church and uh, after we were done praying uh one of the pastors in the group said that their church was going through a church health and revitalization process and one of the things that had been brought up was the fact that they had their nose in the air towards the other churches in the city and had been unwilling to work with the other churches in their city and while none of the pastors in that prayer group had ever sensed that uh he said that um he wanted us to know that that ends today, uh, and that moving forward, uh, they were going to be a different church. And I really believe that that act of repentance, uh, was God, was the beginning of God's favor being poured out on our city. That prayer group, uh, has grown and grown and grown. Uh, we have about 25 to 35 people there every single Sunday, uh, often, uh, 20, 15 to 20 churches participating now there's leaders uh, in the churches that come uh, we've had uh, we had one prayer gathering at the start of school where we had over 100 people at 6:30 in the morning to, to pray uh, at the high school before the first day of school and uh, we were able to do uh, a unity worship gathering Um, at the historic Mishler downtown uh, where we actually exceeded capacity at at around 900 people and had more than 30 churches participate. Um, And uh, it's just been a God story um, ever since of God just continually uh, bringing us together. Uh, Now that we're two years in, uh, I would say that the churches in the city are starting to function more like a large staff. Uh, rather than uh, competitors who are, are trying to get more people uh, than the church across town.
0: Hmm. That's amazing. It's almost like uh, I get this picture of like how toddlers are when they first start playing, that they, they uh, you know, they don't want to share the toy. And then sometimes they play alongside each other, but yeah. not really, you know, engage with each other. And then finally, children learn how to, you know, share. And they, actually, that you guys have a very common interest. And, uh, and that you're one team for Jesus. And I think that's just that's a, that right there, I think is amazing transformation for if, if people can see that in their in their town or their city that we're all you know that we're on team Jesus together, that we've all got one goal, one mission. Um, and I think that's absolutely beautiful. I would love for you to share just a little bit about how did um, your church overflow start? Um, and what are some of the kind of the stories that, that God's been doing through you guys? some of the personal stories that that God's been doing through you guys.
1: Um, Well, as I said, I'm a fourth generation missionary. And so um, I've always seen myself more as a missionary than I have as a pastor. And so when we moved to Altoona. I just continually asked the question, uh, if I was moving into a Muslim country, what would I do? And then I tried to do that. Uh, And so we, we spent 15 months uh, just living as missionaries when we moved to town, I got involved in everything I could get involved in and, and spent uh, every waking hour just trying to get to know as many people as I could in our city and just build relationships and look for opportunities uh, to share Jesus with, uh, with people. And that group has just, um, God has just opened door after door for us to develop uh, strong relationships with our uh, community. We launched, uh, had our first public worship gathering in uh, September or in October of 2013, and it's just been uh, a crazy ride ever since. I'll never forget. We had a couple uh, who came to our uh, grand opening. She had never been to church a day in her life before our uh, first worship gathering, and uh, she and her husband have both uh, become followers of Jesus now. And I remember talking to her, and uh, she. Uh, shared how she'd grown up in our city uh, within walking distance of about five or six churches, always wanting to be a part of the church, but she thought the church was a social club. Uh, there's a bunch of social clubs in our city, and uh, she she said from her perspective, the only thing she could tell that was different about uh, churches uh, from the other social clubs is that the people she knew that went to a church were happier than the ones that just went to a normal social club, uh, so she grew up wanting what the church had to offer Um, but no one had ever taken the time to develop a relationship with her and invite Uh her to church or share the story of Jesus. She did her student teaching uh, for a year with a pastor's wife. Uh, During that time, she, her, her grandmother died, her, her marriage was falling apart. And yet never once did that pastor's wife share the story of Jesus with her. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet God has just moved in a radical way in in uh, their life they've been discipled and now have uh, answered a call to to plant a church in uh, his hometown and so this past sunday i was uh, worshiping with them about 30 minutes away uh, they've they felt a call to go back uh, to their community and uh, to plant a church um, one of the things that, that i've shared we, we had a lot of momentum early on uh, in our church planning journey um, We had a a relatively large launch, and we're growing pretty fast at the beginning, and uh, we're ready to send out our first church plant team within a year to 18 months. I started interviewing a bunch of church planters, all great candidates, but couldn't get away from the fact that God was saying that they just weren't the right fit, and uh, I was attending a Wesleyan Pastors event, uh, and the director of our global missions uh, for our denomination was sharing about how 70% of the pastors uh, serving globally aren't ordained, not because they don't want to be ordained, but because they haven't had the opportunity to be ordained. They've been, they've come to know Christ um, and uh, they're serving as lay people in new churches that are being started. And we're trying to figure out how to train them. And God just used that to really convict me that I was looking for church planters in the wrong place. Okay. Uh, rather than looking at the seminary to provide the church planner, uh, I was supposed to be focusing on making disciples who uh, would make disciples and equipping them to live as missionaries uh, in the community uh, that, they were, uh, that they were started. Around that same time, I was listening to a podcast uh, that was interviewing a Lutheran historian, and he shared their denomination had planted one church a week for 100 years straight. Uh, and he made the comment, he said, uh, we didn't plant churches like they plant churches today. We didn't go to the seminary and find a pastor. Most of those churches were started because people came to know Christ, moved into a neighborhood where there wasn't a Lutheran church, and they just lived out the gospel in such a radical way that home Bible studies were started that would eventually grow to 30 or 40 people, and then those people would reach out to the denomination and say, can you send us a pastor because we just planted a church? And so we, oh, wow. that, that's really started to shape my philosophy uh, of church planning. And so since that time, we've had um, close, close to a dozen people that have expressed calls in the ministry that we've just been walking with uh, as uh, they're answering the call that God has placed on their life, teaching them how to make disciples, how to live as missionaries. Uh, and then we've been able to partner with the university I went to school with to start offering classes, uh, locally, that are a hybrid and online, so that they can start getting the classes they need uh, for ordination. Uh, but it's just been crazy to watch uh, God move as as we've just focused. I tell people, at Overflow, we only do two things: we make disciples, we make disciples, and we mobilize missionaries. And so we put all of our energy into those two things. And as a result, we've we've seen people just growing rapidly in their faith uh, and just fully surrender to God and living as missionaries. We have a mailman, uh, that, um, he actually came to know Christ before he, uh, became a mailman. I've walked with him in discipleship for several years and, um, he is just bold in his faith. His faith was radically changed. I mean, we've had, we've had people show up at our church on Sunday and say, I knew him before he was a Christian and he has been so radically changed. I just had to come and see what was going on. Um, but he, uh, he has more gospel conversations than anybody I know, and uh, um, he, he has so many opportunities to pray with people on his mail route, and, and out of that, he felt God calling him to start a backyard club on his mail route at the local park that was within his uh, territory, Uh, And uh, this past year that grew to a group that was meeting on Monday nights, some weeks, as many as 90 people were showing up with kids and families and uh, we were able to, prior to COVID, uh, we were able to move them inside uh, at the Presbyterian church that was in that neighborhood that we partner with their part of our prayer gathering. And so we did a joint thing where we partnered with them. Um, And uh, we we were able to move uh, to their building and provide alpha uh, over the winter. Uh, and then right, right now with COVID things are up in the air, but they're still meeting back in the park. And that's one of the, uh, locations that, uh, is quickly moving towards becoming a fully functioning church plant. Um, but it's just, it's just lay people that are saying yes to God, uh, who are being discipled and answering the call that God has placed on their life. I, I just continue to tell our people that, that, uh, The only thing that I'm asking of them as their pastor is that they stop telling God, no, they're allowed to tell me no, but don't tell God, no, just do whatever he says, no matter how crazy it seems. And uh, my job as a pastor is to figure out how to resource them uh, to do whatever it is. I tell them, you can stop volunteering at anything that we're doing at overflow. If it means if that's competing with the call that God has placed on your life, we'll figure out uh, how to make it happen. Uh, But God has just blessed that. Uh, tremendously.
0: Like any church, even a church plant, I'm sure that there's this there's this hum, human feeling that if you give away your best, uh, where's the money gonna come from? Who's gonna serve in the leadership? How, tell me, walk through with me. what was the shift in you? Like how how do you get past that bear that human kind of scarcity mentality and to move so that you can multiply disciples and send them?
1: Uh, well, it is true when you have an open hand approach, God always calls your best. Uh, it's happened over and over again. Uh, just two weeks ago, uh, we, we commissioned, uh, one of our families that expressed a call to ministry that we thought was going to plant locally. And through, uh, a, just a long string of events, God made it clear that they were supposed to move to Texas and serve on staff at a church, uh, before planting down there. And so we commissioned them and, uh, Um, they, they were the cream of the crop that we had at, uh, overflow. And we just find it over and over that God calls our best. Um, but when you have a disciple making culture, um, that always opens doors for new people to step into their shoes. Now, I would say if you're not making disciples, uh, who are making disciples, when you send away your best, your church is probably going to collapse. Yeah. Um, because you don't have others that are ready to step into their shoes. Um, but if you're focused on making disciples, uh, and w- one of the things that has just become clear for me um, over the last several years, the longer we're on this journey, the more that I'm finding uh, how important it is to really identify who my three and my 12 are. Uh, could I think so oftentimes- you just, Sorry, could you uh, just
0: unpack that a little bit? What is, th- what is the three and the, I, I know, but yeah, just for the- for the people listening, what is the three and the 12? So when we
1: look at, so when we look at Jesus' ministry, he, he, there's no question he had ministry to the crowds. Uh, there's the feeding of the 5,000 thousands of people are coming to hear Jesus. Um, but if you read the gospels, the majority of Jesus's time uh, spent with the uh, 12 disciples and then the three Peter, James and John who were invited into an even special relationship. And, uh, Several years ago, I think it was Jim Putman um, who I heard pose the question: uh, "What what if the life that Jesus lived was just as divine as the words that he spoke?" We love to read the red letters, and and every time you read the Gospels and you come to the red letters, you always stop because you know Jesus is speaking here, and this is this mm-hmm. is important. But what if we did that with the way that Jesus actually lived his life? What if we try to model our life after? his life in ministry. And so for me, that's really been identifying who are the 12 individuals right now that I need to just walk with uh, as they grow in relationship with Christ, with it, with the expectation that they're also walking with other people. Uh, And that's just, that's just been huge for for our church uh, as we've seen people grow to maturity. Um, I'm always just looking for those who are listening and responding to the voice of God. Uh, and then as a disciple maker, I really feel that my, my primary role as a lead pastor at Overflow is listening for the Holy Spirit as he's speaking to our people and then helping them say yes to that, just giving them the confidence that, yes, hey, you're hearing from God. Uh, you're reading your Bible. You're applying it well. Now go do it. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, that's, that's been huge for our church.
0: That's amazing. Cool. So we just have just a, a few minutes left, um, but I'd love for you just to say, um, you know, why, why is disciple making, church planting, um, why is it um, necessary in today's context? If they haven't got it already, why, I mean, tell you're fu- fully passionate, um, you know, and just I love I love your heart and your passion for it. But for these churches out there, and some of them have maybe never, most likely have never planted a church, never even considered it, I think it's 4% of churches across America have actually planted a church. Um, but yeah, you know, why, why would they, you know, why do this?
1: Well, I think ultimately it comes back to the Great Commission. Uh, for my ministry, it's been shaped greatly by the question, what would I do differently if I believed God was going to finish the Great Commission in my lifetime? I don't think that we live with the expectation that God is going to work in a profound way in our lifetime. In the North American church, we have the idea that the awakenings are something that happened in the past, and yet right now we live during the greatest awakening the world has ever seen, and uh, the North American church is missing it, and we're missing out. And uh, so for me, it's just coming back to what would I do differently if I believed God was going to finish the Great Commission in my lifetime, and every time. I try to answer that question. I always come up to the, with the same answer. I would devote my life to making disciples who make disciples and releasing them to be missionaries, wherever God is calling them. It's helped me to come to a place where I realized that um, my legacy and and my success as a pastor is not found in how many people gather in my church on a Sunday, but how many people um, are sent out. There's going to come a day where overflow church no longer exists. Uh, but the church universal is going to continue and if i will have ascending posture um, my legacy will far uh, far outlive me i've always said that uh, uh, if you look at the methodist revivals uh, john wesley's greatest ministry took place after he died uh, because he continued to he he had made disciples so effectively that it just continued to multiply and multiply after he was dead And so I've really tried to adopt a ministry that I believe the greatest impact is gonna be after I'm gone.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you so much uh, for taking time to share today. It's been great to have you on the show. Uh, Pure gold uh, from Richard Cox. So appreciate you um, just sharing your experiences and just how what Jesus is doing in and through you guys and making disciples. Thanks for your time today. And yeah, really appreciate you coming on the show.
1: Thanks for having
0: me. All right. Thanks, Richard. Thanks for listening to the Big Church, Small Church podcast, a Church Doctor Ministries production. To download the show notes, go to thesendmovement.com. For questions, coaching, or other network opportunities, contact John Hunter at j-o-n-h-u-n-t-e-r at churchdoctor.org. If you've liked this episode, please give a review, subscribe,
1: and share it on your social media platforms.